This week's episode took place during our first ever attempt at a live stream. If you are interested in seeing more content like this, or interacting with us in some sort of chat scenario, you can find us on our YouTube channel, Twitch channel, or on Periscope. Just search for The Dawdler's Philosophy and look for more content experimenting with that format. Enjoy! This is the inaugural episode <laughs> of the Dawdler's Philosophy <sighs> Podcast being recorded, but simultaneously live-streamed, because we are so good at, at everything. We need to give ourselves more cognitive load. <laughs> Excitement. All um, right. Follow us on YouTube and Twitch and Twitter. And then you can, and someday maybe we'll have, you know, like interactive chat sessions and everything. This is going to be crazy. We're expanding. Ryan doesn't it's care. It's a revolution. He wants to talk and... about Thomas Nagel's 1974 article in the Philosophical Review entitled, What is it like to be a bat? Question mark. Yes, I want to talk about this. Yeah. So, but I want Harlan to lead us in prayer. Periodically, I figure there's been too much time spent on the Dawdler's Philosophy podcast with sympathy. There's too many, hey, here's a cool idea. Hey, I like this person. Hey, you should read this book. And it's time to bring around another takedown. It's been too long. So, I thought we'd attempt to talk about what it's like to be a bat because it is... An extremely influential essay that once you visit its Wikipedia, it will say this was the founding document of 40 years of confusion in the philosophy of mind literature. This is it's seminal work, they say. And then I read it and I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't see it. So it's uh, <laughs> it's supposed to be a big deal. That's why we're going to talk about it. And what does he say? Very first sentence sounds like a fair restatement of the thesis. Consciousness is what makes the mind-body problem really intractable. So he's going to be arguing, quote-unquote, that 
Conscious experience is a widespread phenomenon that occurs at many levels of animal life. If you notice anywhere in here where he does argue that, I'm curious to hear it. I feel like this is a master class in begging the question and confusing definitional statements with argumentative conclusions. That he just will state things as definitions, he'll stipulate things, but then use those as premises in or conclusions of arguments. He's fighting against a popular movement in late 60s, early 70s that came primarily from Australia with people like J.C.C. Smart and David Lewis and uh, Armstrong, I think David Armstrong, etc., where they were doing what they called identity theory. Every entity referenced in talk of one's conscious experience is precisely identified with some biochemical nervous system event, parentheses in the brain, on parentheses. Nagel doesn't really like that very much. He says, philosophers share the general human weakness for explanations of what is incomprehensible in terms suited for what is familiar and well understood. Note that he calls that a general human weakness. Another thing that I've been studying up on recently, because we're going to talk about it in the near future on the Dollar's philosophy, is philosophy of science. And in much philosophy of science literature, <laughs> what Nagel is calling a weakness is precisely what they think science is all about. That, we, that science is to provide explanations, yeah. and explanations are taking the unfamiliar and reconceptualizing and redescribing it in terms of the familiar. That's what it means to explain something. Yeah? You add something? Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I, mean, I don't know. It's, uh, I'm not, I, you're still doing the lead up. I guess I didn't, I mean, I read the beginning part, of course, but I, I there's certain parts where I'm like, Rah! Okay, you need me to just keep going? uh, Yeah. Okay. I think so. Nagel writes, Without consciousness, the mind-body problem would be much less interesting. With consciousness, it seems hopeless. So he wants to set up that dichotomy. He says, you identity theorist types, you're just leaving it out. And if you leave it out, then you're not dealing with the real, what we now call, in Chalmers' terms, the hard problem. And if you do take the hard problem seriously, everything's hopeless, give up. So, he stipulates that conscious experience is a widespread phenomenon. Then he adds, it occurs at many levels of animal life. Though we cannot be sure of its presence in simpler organisms, and it is very difficult to say what provides evidence of it. And, you know, I can't help but pause to say, ahem, at that point. So he doesn't have any evidence, but he wants that for free. Conscious experience widespread, and all kinds of animals, though not all animals, have it. Many kinds of animals have it. No doubt it occurs in countless forms totally unimaginable to us on other planets. So now we've got aliens in and Fermi Paradox solved and all that stuff. Episode 9. Okay, so what's his definition? What is conscious experience? 
We like definitions on this program. I like it. Conscious experience means <laughs> that there is something it is like to be that organism. The subjective character of experience. Fundamentally, an organism has conscious mental states if, and only if, there is something that it is like to be that organism, something it is like for the organism. This phrasing, this little meme, has become extremely popular and they, philosophers of mind, debate it to this day. I, as I understand it, this was the yeah. paper that introduced that phraseology, the what it is likeness. Right. And I just want to jump in really quick, and he says later in a footnote that what it is like, you know, it can be misleading. It does not mean what in our experience it resembles, but rather how is it for the subject himself. So he's trying to say it's not about... You know, you're not doing analogies or comparisons or whatever. It is being John Malkovich. Right. Yeah, I'm, we're going to get into that at some point soon. I have a couple things to say about that, too. But, yes, good point. Because uh, one of the things that I hear from that phrase, simpliciter, is just, okay, well, you're requesting an analogy. What is it like? And since everything is like everything else in some respect or other, it's kind of vacuous. But he has a workaround for that that he tries, and we'll see how it works. Every yeah. subjective phenomenon, writes Nagel, is essentially connected with a single point of view. And it seems inevitable that an objective physical theory will abandon that point of view. And that's one of those sentences that, when I read it, I stop for a moment and try to ask Nagel, do you think that you're providing a definition here, or do you think that you're making a substantive claim? And to this moment, I'm not really sure. All that he's licensed to do by this reader is state that as a definition, because you can always stipulate whatever definitions you want. But I think that he thinks... He's making a claim about the world when he does that, which I don't really like. <laughs> yes. Um, it's funny because we definitely are like focusing on different things, aren't we? When we read this paper, at least so far. Are you going to come in more when we get to the... All the up that you have issues with. Yeah. The bats? When we get to the bats. <laughs> well... <That's... laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I was thinking about it in terms of just probably just because I'm so biased in my headspace that like, you know, his sort of first off, he has a huge problem. And I think this is early on. He has a big problem with reductionism. Right. And um, he's trying to set up a way to preserve the mind body problem, it seems to me, because as you were mentioning, there are some people who are trying to um, relate various neurological or physiological, you know, phenomena with what people report, you know, they're experiencing or their subjective experience, that kind of stuff. I'm not, I'm, I don't have like the tightest of grasps on this, but um, to me, that just seems to be like, that's kind of his primary 
objective is he's preserving something in this. That to me seemed like very clear was that he was like, no, I like this thing and I want to keep it. And here's my way of making it so that you can't do anything to it or whatever. Yeah. I know maybe I'm jumping around too much right now, but that seemed like the basic move of the whole thing. And his enemy or his, you know, his foils or whatever it is, is reductionists, you know, and primarily probably, yeah, maybe particular he has in mind other philosophers, but also those philosophers likely seem to have in mind scientists and he doesn't i don't think he likes that move at all yeah i think that he wants to build a little alamo or whatever where he's got his little protected special humans have this and some other animals have this and it's unique and special and it's you know don't science can't come in here and reduce it down to nothing right i don't know how far we're supposed to go with this but my thinking is that his fatal mistake was trying to make an ar evolutionary argument to uphold the mind-body problem, you know? Or in other words, demonstrate an explanatory gap between how traits function and their associated subjective experience or whatever. But that we'll get to, I guess, eventually. But that seemed to me like... So that was the parts... Those are the parts that I picked up on, you know? You're like, stipulations! And I'm like, evolution! You know, so... Well, yeah, we're the next... Anyway section of the paper is the bats so we'll shift over to that because that's how that's his little thought experiment or argument from analogy or from imagination that he's going to make if you grant his premise that conscious experience is widespread and occurs at many forms of animal life it comes from an essentially subjective point of view that objective or physical or scientific explanations cannot reach then he what is he, now yeah. we get to the bat part and he makes another big fat assumption do not glide over it too smoothly i assume we all believe that bats have experience and at least for this reader nope i don't so you lose me at that phrase. but after all they are mammals and there is no more doubt that they have experience than that mice or pigeons or whales have experience what? Maybe there easily could be. He even admitted in the first page that it's a gradient, and at some point, down the scale of complexity, even he is going to stop yeah. attributing consciousness. So then why does he take drastically different mammals and say, well, clearly they all have consciousness? Eh, not necessarily. I've chosen bats. I, I thought because... at some point he actually walks that back later. But, I mean, in a, in a footnote, even. Probably. But anyway, keep going. <laughs> okay. Uh, I chose bats because if one travels too far down the phylogenetic tree, people gradually shed their faith that there is experience. Ding! By the way, they shed their what? Faith that there is experience. Again, jig is up, Nagel. This is faith. That's what <laughs> the critics are telling you. All this is is an article of faith. Okay, so he part of the reason he picks bats is that they're close enough to us that most people will grant that they probably have conscious experience. Even without the benefit of philosophical reflection, anyone who has spent some time in an enclosed space with an excited bat knows that it is to encounter a fundamentally alien form of life. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not sure why that's in italics. 
or why anything flying would seem fundamentally alien but oh it's not that's... about the flying i don't think it's about the radar the sonar the uh bats closely related to us have a sensory apparatus so different from ours that the problem i want to pose is especially vivid bats perceive the external yeah. I mean, world I, primarily I... by sonar or echolocation detecting reflections from objects within range of rapid subtly modulated high frequency shrieks i think that's the part where it gets alien i guess but he he walks that back later too anyway <laughs> he even mentions visually impaired people using noises to kind of get a sense for the room and stuff like that or why some you know it, it just seems to me like all right all right you know i don't know if it's all that alien i think what he's trying to do is set up something he's trying to really push certain things back to one side of the room so that he can draw a distinction so it, it's all to preserve this mind body this gap he's trying to create a gap between x and y you know or whatever it is that's what it seemed like to me so it's like when i'm reading and i'm like ah you know even the echolocation thing i mean maybe to a humanities professor they're like oh it's alien to me or or something but i don't know i would just think that you know i have said that the essence <sighs> of the belief that bats have experience is that there is something it is like to be the bat so what he i think the way that he wants to establish the gap or the way that he wants to make a reductio ad absurdum or something about scientific or objective explanations of consciousness is that he's saying all right science can you do it for a bat can you tell me everything there is to know about being a bat from a third person objective point of view and since you can't if you can't then clearly you can't explain human beings either I guess the problem with this, as somebody who's more into the game playing side of intellectual inquiry and all that kind of stuff, is I'm not sure what game he wants me to play. Like, I'm like, so there's the whole evolution one. I'm like, oh, I can play that one. And then there's this whole, like, objective, subjective thing. And then I'm like, okay, what are the parameters there? Like, because a third person, it's like, ah. And then, you know, because he's thinking somehow Arbiter can be a i don't know there's a lot of questions i have about that and then there is the mind body problem thing and I, I have the time he talks about these things and i even tried to look it up i was like are there any neurologists out there have read this paper and been like what you know or what like but i haven't been able to find too much of that i don't know if it's just because while this is very prominent in the philosophy world maybe it isn't as prominent outside of that you know um Hopefully. But again, I'm just not sure what game I, you know, like, and if you, you know, you've chosen the game that, you know, you're thinking about playing and you're like, I ain't playing that game. So it's like already like, you know, when he says, I assume we all behave, uh, we all believe that bats have experience. You're like, nope, I'm done. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> like papers are floating down and you're already gone, you know, like door slams, you know, but like, so I'm not sure what. Again, I'll just say it. I don't know what game he wants me to play. So we like we just choose the game we're going to play with this paper. There's just a lot of different things happening here. Yeah, I guess maybe, probably, for sure, there's less agreement <laughs> within philosophy about the quote-unquote rules of the game than there are in 
special sciences, at least, and maybe science mm-hmm. as a whole, but definitely within individual sciences. I think scientists tend to be more clear about and in agreement with the rules of the game than many philosophers. I think that Nagel breaks a lot of things that I consider good rules. An important one that we've been through a million times on this podcast is begging the question, and I think that he does that. But it might have to do with his target. He's targeting identity theorists and physicalists, and I tend to lean toward this position we call eliminativism, where we don't believe in consciousness at all, and against the eliminativist, he begs the question often, including the next thing I had marked, there is no reason to suppose that it is subjectively like anything we can experience or imagine to be a bat. What? So I think that's part of his game. To answer your question, what game is Nagel playing? He wants you to be playing this game that we could call conceivability, that philosophers do that I think is a terrible game, because all it can possibly tell you if anything, is facts about human psychology, human language, human conceptual schemes, whatever. It can't tell you anything about the way the world is or the way bats are. Or the way you know, It can't tell you any of that. But he thinks you can reason from I cannot imagine X to therefore not X, which is a move that philosophers do often, and I think it breaks the rules. Okay. Well, and also, he's... The, there. This is, again, I'm not sure what game he wants to play, because... He talks himself about how we can't use our imaginations to get to the, you know, subjective character of experience or what, you know what I mean? So he himself is talking about if he's saying we can imagine this and then he's saying, but you can't imagine that. It's just like, well, what, what is it? That's why I just feel like this is just some, some kind of like preservation mechanism. Like he's like, I want this, yes. you know, like, and I so you're right he's not that. keeping track of all the little, the, the various things that would come up that he, you know, that might be like objectionable or just not reasonable or whatever or inconsistent or what, you know what I mean? So it's like, it just seems like a rough draft. He was emotional. He was writing, <laughs> you know, and then, and then he put it out there and they're like, well, Thomas Nagel's a very important philosopher. So we're just going to put it out there, you know, in the journal of whatever, you know, or who knows, you know, like I don't, you know, so, but he had his memes, right? And so that helped. I mean, it's right there at the beginning, the you know, with the title. You know, yeah. it's very provocative. Mm-hmm. Like bats. What do bats have to do with anything? And like, what it's like to be, you know, and all that kind of crap. Yeah. He also seems to admit the thing that you were just pointing to, when he writes, in a parenthetical, the problem is not confined to exotic cases, however, for it exists between one person and another. And I yeah. think that. So we've got in philosophy the the mind body problem, supposedly, right? And that you know there's this gap between the mental and the physical, and you can't explain one from the other. Another famous philosophical problem they call the problem of other minds, and it seems as yeah. to me as if you take Nagel's solidification of the mind body problem seriously, you also get the problem of other minds and have to end up being a solipsist that you can only know about your own experience. Cause I can't imagine what it's like to be a bat, but I can't imagine what it's like to be a Ryan McKenna either. No, you can't. 
but you could if you tried. No. Um, yeah, our no, own experience provides the, the basic place. material for our imagination, whose range is therefore limited. And if I'm limited from understanding bats, perhaps it might be a matter of degree that to a lesser extent I'm limited from understanding my fellows, but it's still not total, and then I can only know about my own experience. Right. Yeah, it's, it's all or nothing, right? The thing that you were stressing earlier that we're coming back around to, I think, is this part. Insofar as I can imagine what it is like to be a bat, it tells me only what it would be like for me to behave as a bat behaves. But that's not the question. I want to know what it is like for a bat to be a bat. Yet if I try to imagine this, I cannot. Is, did you have something you wanted to say about that, or not that you already didn't? Well, I mean, again, that was like, I don't know if this makes sense or aligns well with what we're, what you just quoted, but like, on the one hand, he's talking about how I can't get, I can maybe only get partial experience with another human being, but then what it's like to be a bat as a bat, you know, that kind of thing. I certainly don't have access to that. But then he goes and he talks about how it's about, you know, types, not you know, individual experience or whatever. Like, so it's, it's all like, I'm not sure where to go often when I was reading this or what it is he wants me to be doing. That was the, the primary thing. So I then just glommed on to his primary thing that I thought that he was doing, which was trying to use evolution as a means to support himself in this mind body problem, kind of, uh, you know, to uphold it or whatever. And so that's that's why, because he kept going to bouncing all over the place. In one hand, he'd say something about like, you know, he'd talk about echolocation or whatever. And then in a footnote somewhere, he's like, yes, but I understand that there's blind people, blind human beings who use something sort of similar, but not to the extent, you know, like it's like, it's all this like, he'll say one thing and then retract it in another place. He'll say, no, I'm talking about types, but then he'll acknowledge the difference between two people and it's only partial. So it's not total. And so like, it's, that's kind of where... I just was like, all right, well, I don't, you know, I have to just pick something and then go there and and yeah. figure out what I can understand from what you're trying to say. And if what you're trying to say is this, then maybe I can get there from there. Do you think that might yeah. be an artifact of the publishing process or the the process of being an academic, that those are sort of responses to critics of drafts of the paper, so then he just stuck them in footnotes. But he yeah. is so dogmatic that he couldn't change anything. I, I keep my point, <laughs> but I know somebody told me about the blind people that can skateboard and the, the click their... Yeah. So I'll, I'll put that in there, but I'm not going to change any of my Right. Mind. That was Reviewer 2 who was just like... Those are responses yeah, to Reviewer exactly. 2. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that... Well, that to me, though, is like... That's something we're supposed to have like an internal struggle about what that then means for what you're trying to say earlier, you know, rather than just making an acknowledgement. Uh, but I kind of feel like that's not even important at this point. It's just that it was only important in so far as I wasn't sure where to go when trying to understand more or less what he was trying to say. Because right. I've got two different areas. On the one hand, there's the, you know, this, this, you know, dividing by zero thing because he doesn't like reductionists and on, and that helps him try and preserve mind body and on the other hand he's also trying to use evolutionism or phylogenetics but evolution as a means to 
you know, kind of talk about the almost genetic distance between consciousnesses or whatever the hell it is, you know? So it's like when it's really far apart, you know? And so those were the only two places that I thought I could even have anything to say <laughs> because everything else was flip-flopping a lot, I thought. Quote, my point, however, is not that we cannot know what it is like to be a bat. I am not raising that epistemological problem. My point is, rather, that even to form a conception of what it is like to be a bat, one must take up the bat's point of view. Coincidentally, ironically, that also is in a footnote. Who takes the <laughs> sentence where they say, my point is, and puts it in a footnote? Nevertheless. So he's saying his point is, it's a, like I was trying to say earlier, I think his point is about conception. It's a conceivability argument. My point is mm -hmm. to form a conception of what it is like to be a bat, because for some reason that's important and it's doable. But in order to do it, you must include the bat's point of view. And then that pre that's again a premise that he wants to stick into this argument. And physicalism, materialism, scientism, objective studies necessarily leave out Total points quote. of view. So then it just would follow immediately from those two premises, science can't explain consciousness. Because physicalism can't explain point of view. In order to know what it's like to be a bat, you have to use bat's point of view. Therefore, science can't explain what it's like to be a bat. And remember from page one, we all agreed, it was stipulated, that there is something it's like to be a bat. And that's the argument, I think. That's his stab at an argument. It is something it's like to be a bat. In order to explain what it's like, you have to do subjective point of view of the bat. Physicalism can't explain subjectivity. Therefore, consciousness cannot be explained by physicalism. And so that's the argument, and then the thought experiment that's supposed to be a sub-argument for that is try. <laughs> See if you can sit there and imagine what it's like to be a bat. You will fail. Then once you've failed, you'll believe me, and you'll agree with me. That's my version of Nagel's point in the bat paper. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, so my thinking was, yeah, no, for sure. But all I want to do is then just engage with that. I don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, so if that's the challenge, if that's the game, then let's play that, you know? So he talks about subjective character of experience. And to me, that just seems like, okay, well, take the loaded subjective character experience thing and then drop it down to the plutonic character of form or something like that. And we'll talk about the circles again, right? And... We're going to then talk about putting points on the line that is the circle because we don't know the actual length of the circle, right? That's our problem. Um, and it's a perfect circle. So if we're going to figure out perhaps what the length of the, of the cir line of the circle is, then we, we have to make it, we break it down. We re become reductionists, remember? And we make lots of points and we draw lots of little lines between them. In theory, if we knew, say, the like the length of the perfect circle of whatever it is that we're talking about, um, then we could just divide, you know, that 
to know however many lines it is that we, you know, when we bring it all back together to make a circle, we'd know what that was or whatever. But to, if it's a perfect circle, then essentially the idea is, you know, we'd have an infinite number of little lines and points, and then we'd be forced to divide by zero. But we can't do that because we're methodologically handicapped. Our reductionism can't get to the perfect circle, but we can describe a circle. Like we don't have to go all the way to perfection, but I feel like that's the move he wants to make. But to me, that's just like this tiny, tiny last bit that it's like, it doesn't even like we've done it. We, we went all the way and we got really close. We're satisfied with that result. And he seems to be unsatisfied with that. And that again is a trigger to me or the trap door comes down down it's like oh you're preserving something because we've done something you know we've got neurology it's not perfect and yeah there's a long way to go before we learn even more you know but it's like we're still coming around to getting a sense for these things um and so that anyway was just when i was looking at that one footnote quote which is comes after the whole like he's like yeah yeah blind people also can do this shit and then he <laughs> like it's a big footnote on page 442 we can stop there and move on to other things. I want to talk about the evolution part before we end, though. I could be misunderstanding you. I could be misunderstanding Nagel. And most likely I am. But I don't think that what you said is what he's doing. I think that he wants to do something even worse. I don't think he says, you can go 99.9% .9 of the way, but I'm going to preserve my little sliver. I think he's saying, you cannot even begin uh -huh. your project. You can't make a bunch of lines or triangles or whatever and try to use that to figure out the diameter of a circle, even to approximate. Because yeah, yeah. No, consciousness is totally separate and special and you can't even, it's immeasurable. But aren't the platonic forms also? You know, like to me, that's all that I was trying to say was that, but we get close. We get close to trying, getting something that works, you know? and And while it may not be some perfect conception of it um and that's kind of the move that i think he's making is that the mind is something that is almost just not even associated with the physical you know and like in a way the perfect circle isn't even associated with our little points and lines you know what i mean it's like it's it's like we're doing this thing over here it's like you can break it up into you know, black and white is you can have your little thing that you're trying to do over here with your little points and lines. And then there's the perfect circle, which you'll never achieve <laughs> like that. And it's like, you can try and talk about neurons all you fucking want, but you'll never get the subjective, you know, character of experience, you know, like that kind of, that's, that was what it seemed like to me. Well, what um, about this quote? Mm, if the subjective it? character of experience is fully comprehensible only from one point of view, which is what he thinks, then any shift to greater objectivity takes us further away from the phenomenon. So I feel like he's saying something so much stronger than through your attempts to mathematically approximate the diameter of this circle, you will never quite reach it. I think he's saying even by attempting to measure it, you're getting further away from the right answer. Well, that's fine. And I think all I'm trying to say is, is like take the loadedness of the 
subjective character of experience and take it down to something like as simple as a circle and what it is that's what one is trying to effectively do. And then it seems to me like it's just a way to kind of try and understand what seems to me the sort of, I don't want to say ridiculousness, but the kind of like sort of extremeness that he's trying to perform to kind of push away things when it's like, what well, you know, we're, we're close, you know, we've, we've got things that help us understand this, you know, whatever subjective character experience or some plutonic character of forms or whatever it is. And he's just like, no, there is this huge gap between what you're doing and what, you know, you think you're doing, you know, that kind of thing. And that's where I feel like it's, it's the same idea. It's just less loaded when I talk about circles than when I talk about like what it's like to be a bat and all the various complications and intricacies that go into that, you know? What do you want to talk about about evolution? Well, so he talks, he's obviously using this notion of subjective character of experience. And in particular, he's trying to use, you know, ever further out, he's trying to find the right exemplar or whatever, which is the bat. He talks about, well, bats are, you know, kind of closely related to, more closely related to primates than say, you know, we are to, you know, hyenas or rats or something. And so he's using that as a means to kind of like, you know, come on, let, let's, let's huddle up here and talk about, you know, hey, so it's, we got primates and no, you know, bats are kind of closely related to us in that sense you know we're we're not too far off in some ways so it's kind of it's, it's like what is the expression like uh far away so close you know it's that like they're, they're not too far away but they're far away enough you know and so he has that whole component that you know he's trying to build this little phylogenetic tree he's trying to put you on a place and sort of the topology of the tree and like you're here and that's over here and you know but it's not a you know not a dolphin it's certainly not like a bacterium or whatever immediately he's trying to create some degree of relatedness so it's like things you can relate to things you cannot relate to and he's trying to say on the one hand we can relate to these things because we can apparently he's admitting even though i don't know why he would say this he, i mean he's not saying it explicitly but he's implying that he admits that there's something to the physicalist stuff because when he says, yeah, we're related to bats and we're close, more closely related, then there's some characters or traits, really, that are, you know, people are saying makes them more closely related to each other. And he's at least admitting the physicalist worldview or something into it in that respect so he can have his example. So he's using that. So the idea is that there's, you know, common descent, that there is a point in the past where our ancestors were one and the same or whatever, right? That's the idea. And um, from there, it's split into bats and then primates and all the various different lineages associated. So I'm unsure, again, about my grasp on this. But this is my take on the evolution thing when I see him using this as a means to talk about the not just a explanatory gap gap but just gaps in general between you know the mind body problem and his obvious issue with the identitarians or whatever so this is me trying to play the game whatever subjective characters of experience are and i i don't know is that sensations emotions redness of red you know those things their likely function is to preserve and inform the fu functional states of various other traits if this is the case, 
then it does no good for subjective characters of experience or subjective experiences to be separated from those traits by some existential gap, like if they're informing, them, you know? And so the subjective character of experience, again, whatever it is, it sh so long as it's informing, you know, the other functionalities, it should be as tractable and as adjustable as any other form or function of an organism, or he talks about aliens and robots, so embodied agent or whatever. If the form and function of a trait were to change and the subjective character of experience didn't, or vice versa, or both changed in different directions, it would be a real challenge for the organism bearing the mismatch. You may be a man who mistakes his wife for a hat, or every time you throw a ball, you have the subjective experience of eating a strawberry, you know? To say subjective experiences have no constituency that can be shared or even really explained goes against the whole like phylogenetic exercise, I think. And it isn't to say that this has been accomplished or even should be. It's just that, you know, it, the idea that it's not, po that it's impossible to figure, you know, what what a shared experience is versus you know what most organisms probably inherited as like salient feedbacks that accompany the relevant functions of their bodies it just seems like that that to me is where it falls apart and it's like well maybe we do whatever it is that's happening uh you know, i know there's a discussion of phenomenal consciousness versus like i know keith frankish is like oh, conscious is fine phenomenal consciousness is out it's an illusion or whatever and there's definitions associated, I suppose, with those things. But whatever it is that is salient to an organism in terms of what it's receiving, information, et cetera, how it goes about receiving that, to say that it's completely different in its offspring would be weird because then how is the offspring supposed to handle its environment? You know, if the parent was able to survive with functionalities that then got it to the point of reproduction in the first place, I don't know. It's just... That, that was my whole take on the whole trying to use evolutionary arguments to uphold the mind-body problem against just it, it being a body problem. Uh, let me attempt to restate it, see if I understand your point. I hear you saying, if there are subjective experiences, and if subjective experiences are the product of an animal organism then those subjective experiences should be slash have to be question mark evolutionarily advantageous or they wouldn't be there or they would be different that might be well too it simplistic. just wouldn't be yeah i mean it would just be dis it would be a disadvantageous thing regardless of evolution if you just got something you know if you're you know if you're a beetle and you got the you know or i don't know if you're some organism and you have some particular trait, the sensory means upon which you use that trait, if that is totally like, you know, different and doesn't help you or inform you how you use that trait, whatever that is, then you may not be using your, your trait the way you could be, the way it worked really well for your dad or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. And so then if it's really off, if we cannot relate to each other, if we do not sh share some inheritance of whatever that nervous system component is that allows us to, you know, 
make decisions and, and orient ourselves in such a way as to be able to achieve whatever it is we're trying to do with the various traits that we already have, then I don't know what we would be able to accomplish as an organism. And that's why I was thinking with like the, is a visual aphgosia or something like that. I can't remember what it's called, like where the, the man got like hit in the head, it's the Oliver Sacks thing, and he mistook his wife for a hat, you know, because his visual system was all screwed up now. And so he wasn't able to like piece things together in like the visual sense, you know, like if you were just born that way, thinking a person was a hat and a hat was a person, you'd be talking to hats and the people would be like, what the hell is going on over here? Like, why would that, you know, that wouldn't make sense if it was just shuffling the deck every time. And I don't know what it's like to be you, you know, to me, it's just like, if you're going to use evolution as your means to try and use things to separate us, then you're also, it's going to hurt you because it's also the idea that we share things, you know? So why would it be any different to me inheriting some nervous system saliency or whatever functionalities associated with the activities of the, maybe the hard parts of my body, you know, like the jaw and the arm and the, you know what I mean? Like flavor, you know, like you have a tongue and it has all these different sensory inputs, but it also has muscles and it does certain things and it moves food around in your mouth, but it also tastes things. And like, you're going to tell me that you can't know what it's like, but you're also going to tell me that it's, you know, you're going to use evolution to do it. I just don't think you can accomplish that. I think the core of his argument is that maybe I can get a partial sense of what it's like to be Harland or something like that. Uh, but I definitely can't get hardly any sense of what it's like to be a bat because, you know, we are unrelated, you know, to such a degree that we can't even fathom it because they use echolocation and sonar. They have all these different traits that they use to get around. And his whole thing was, if you don't, if you only have partial, right, you don't get then anything what it's like to be the other person or something like, or the bat. But if it's, you know, it's partial if it's a person, right? And so my thinking was, well, how do you know? Like, you you could just as well say, well, because we have these inheritances, because we inherit, you know, teeth, and we inherit, you know, you know, we look like our parents. It's the whole Darwinism thing. Why should that be any different when it comes to uh, the way our nervous systems handle and deal with things? You know, like, and why is it that it is so hard to imagine what it's like to be then another person when you, in effect, are equipped with the same stuff? Like, that's all I was trying to say was, if you're going to use evolution, then it seems like it can go the other direction as well against any kind of degrees of similarity or difference or whatever that he seems to me like trying to set up. Yeah. So that's what it's like to be a bat. That's what it's like to be on a or live stream. That is what it's like. There is anybody watching us. Thanks for stopping by. I hope you do it again. If it worked, we'll do this more. Daniel read the paragraph. He read until the words ran out. But it's saying we're all in trouble now. Poison in the juice carafe. We drank until our thirst ran out. Oh no, we're in some trouble now. Everyone wants to be a perpetual 